0: Courtney, thank you so much for coming on. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Courtney Lukic?
1: Oh, you got it on the first try. Nobody gets that.
0: Nice. Courtney Lukic, the CEO of (laughs) Gotham PR, also the author of a new book coming out, Creating Significance. Why don't we just give you the floor kind of explain about what you do?
1: Sure. Well, this is a great time to start a business. I'll lead with that. That's what I did when I started 19 years ago, right after 9-11. So oftentimes... Down periods can engender a great source of opportunity, creativity, innovation, and collaboration. We're seeing that in our client roster today and on behalf of clients with whom we do a lot of business development and strategizing, planning, forecasting. In addition to press, we're finding that people say yes to almost every query we put out, which is very rewarding and exciting.
0: Interesting. So why don't you talk a little bit more about that? What is Gotham PR?
1: Sure. We have clients presently in 30 countries and 30 cities across North America. So I guess that contributes to an interdisciplinary or multi- multidisciplinary approach. Not too many agencies took that back when I founded the firm 19 years ago, but that has become the norm where you see a marriage of creativity and business and incorporating a lot of technology and very technical expertise. So I think people tend to find us. When I say people, I mean clients and also media contacts or anyone who wants to collaborate on the marketing front. We have never solicited business. So I thank the internet for really granular searches and finding experts. I think we do something that most do not. And that's why we end up with such top tier clients. And the caliber of each of them is typically to create their own category because it doesn't yet exist. So really market leaders and visionaries.
2: Where where has life taken you today?
1: Well, when you say life, do you mean work life or do you mean personal life? Or? Where where
2: are you? Where are you? Where are you located currently? Before we started recording, you had mentioned to us a couple of places you guys are plopped at. So, yes. talk about well, your we where your arms are spread out. Founded in
1: New York, at. our offices are presently on Park Avenue South near the Flatiron Building, and that's in a biophilic brand new building. So that's exciting for a whole host of reasons. Easy to get to and super clean great for clients and a lot of green walls and nature, which I think everyone's craving at this point. In London, we're based in Mayfair, and we're just coming out of lockdown there. And I opened a third satellite office in Sarasota, Florida. That's on the West Coast, right on the Gulf of Mexico. And it's a real moment here. We're in the process of uh, creating a design conference. I've been teaching at the local art design and business university called Ringling. And um, just identifying so much waterfront redevelopment and mixed use projects in here, Miami and Tampa, St. Pete. So it was very fortuitous that I was able to relocate because it engendered a lot of new business.
2: Are you in Sarasota currently right now? Presently I
1: am. It is 85 degrees and sunny.
2: Beautiful. So I, I have family down there. My grandfather's lived in Sarasota for 30 years. So I've spent my whole life, going to St. Armand Circle yeah. and Siesta Key Beach and yeah, all my yards. I just had a it's New the most beautiful visit to to first be. time
1: last week and she was enchanted. You know, it's like going from black and white to Technicolor when you've been in a New York City apartment for a year and a half working. So I expect more clients to visit. And as a matter of fact, I'm setting up a lot of meetings on behalf of clients in Miami as we speak.
2: Nice. Well, so as a CEO, what are, and it's kind of a basic question, but what are some of the biggest challenges that you face as, a, as, an, as an executive?
1: I think time management would probably would be everybody's answer. But given the fact that I usually start at four or five in the morning, I just follow the sun, essentially. So I start with the UK and Europe and progressively move to New York and the day with Los Angeles And in the instance of working in China, as I referenced, we have clients on every continent, you know, it's sort of this limitless approach because they're essentially a day ahead. So I think no day is like another. Last night, I just found out I'm flying back up to New York to help spearhead a a merger and acquisition on behalf of a a young client. And so really, I'm treated as counsel, almost like legal counsel, (laughs) agent manager in as much as I am a press agent. So I always say that press is like the ice skating fun part because my clients are also great. So it's not incredibly difficult mm-hmm. <laughs> to get top tier coverage, but it's really building that programming and awareness around what each is doing and what what signifies, you know, a brand or a firm to make it press worthy. Absolutely. So it's more of a process. You know, I think people tend to think of publicity and that's very different than strategic media relations and and marketing it's really a whole wheelhouse of capabilities. Yeah, that was a
0: question I want do you guys work with a marketing firm, you know, work alongside or you guys do the marketing as well?
1: We do and really not every client needs it, but we see potential I think where others don't. So certainly we factor it into our forecasting and our consulting, some act on it. I Tend to think, you know, because we work so quickly. And again, we have such a vast network that I'm seeing a client, for example, in Los Angeles implementing things that we talked about six to nine months ago. Because from a feasibility standpoint, you know, these companies need the bandwidth and oftentimes will go in and even build up their own infrastructure and management team so that they can take on these bigger engagements like a book or increase business. You'd be surprised a lot of creative people, well, maybe you won't aren't always great at figuring out their budgets and how to maximize contracts and accordingly how to scale or hire new talent, right? So it turns into sort of this chicken and egg scenario. They all want to grow, but sometimes get a little locked into knowing how to do that or not do that. And again, this book I have coming out, Creating Significance is really how to design your life's work and how to build a lasting brand. And it was interesting. I was in Mexico City a few years ago and I met with this very top architect and you would recognize his work but I won't mention his name here and he said, "Oh, we love your brand." And I, you know, I'd never thought as an agency of ourselves as a brand, but nearing the 20-year mark, we are because there's a aesthetic and sensibility line that I think runs throughout our client roster and you can see that, mm-hmm. you know, reflected in our website certainly. And
0: what does the onboarding process network. look like for your clients and what's the value proposition that you bring to them to get them as a client?
1: Wonderful question. We do a positioning audit, which will not be unusual for you two to hear from where you're sitting. And that really allows us to bring out the strategic points and what we think is PRable because oftentimes what the client think is pressworthy or marketable is not. And so it's our job to really suss that out through an intensive, whether it's conducted by Zoom or in writing strategy and then to execute media training against that. And when I say media training, that can really carry over too into the development aspects of the business. So anytime you take a new meeting, or you're meeting someone, you're positioning your business in a forward manner, as opposed to sort of referencing dated or old portfolios, which I think a lot of people tend to do, they sort of rely on what's worked in the past rather than envisioning what could potentially be created in the future. So we're the ones who motivate that and bring that into being in the real world. So I would say that's very valuable. I just sat with a client this morning and they have a wonderful network, but have not really leveraged it. So we mapped out for the upcoming quarter, about 30 different meetings that they're going to take. And he said, wow, you made that look so easy. You just put it onto a matrix and, you know, lined up all the dates in five or six different world cities and just methodically went about setting them up. So it's really lending that kind of support strategically and just having them understand that this is a manageable process, right? To grow your business, you have to invest in your business continually. So they invest in us, we invest in them and just give them a new way of looking at how to optimize growth or opportunity in some.
2: So, so what is your, what's a client avatar look like for you? So I, I, I just, a couple things I brainstorm is, is it, are they, you know, individual, so proprietors, firms, companies, massive, how big, how little, yeah, what is, of what these, is the client see, look you like know, for our you Our
1: niche is really a kind of B2B, but it's really b 2 b to c So the end user will always be a consumer and and a pretty high value, high touch consumer. For years, we worked in luxury, but I think, you know, design is democratic. So we like to make sure it's accessible, whatever it is we're representing from an advocacy standpoint. So- We've had clients where it's a two-person firm. We have clients that are 1,000 to 5,000 people on their team globally. So you know, a lot of what I think you're sensing is that we work in change management, which sounds like management speak, but it really is helping organizations pivot in real time to grow and respond to market conditions. So you can imagine that we were very busy in the last year where others were sort of sitting around fretting. Our industry was deemed essential, so people were working four times harder. And that means builders, contractors, designers, planners, architects, developers. Yeah, it's been a really exciting ride, quite frankly.
2: I'm sure there's a million things that you could give after this question, <laughs> but could you give our listeners a example of a relationship and a situation on and how you operate and how you're providing value in the marketplace, like just a, like a real life example on some of the work. Well, that this
1: is a, it's a great snapshot because this happened just yesterday afternoon. I had a client call me up and again, this is a scenario where we are regarded as agent manager Um, really growth agent for this company. And she said, you know, I really, I need you in New York. And of course, you know, I'm keeping a schedule in multiple cities now, not least of which on Zoom and on podcasts with you. And I said, are you sure you really need me there? Because sometimes clients think that I need to be in the room. And she said, you know, I'm not walking in there alone. And granted, she has people on her team, but she didn't deem them Uh, probably appropriate for what needs to happen with this very high level negotiation. So of course, I said yes. And fast forward to setting up a lot of meetings and press and podcasts and broadcasts around that particular period of time that I'll be in New York. And it was time sensitive. Again, I question, you know, do you really want to take on this potential merger or partnership at this time? Would you not perhaps want to wait until the new year? And of course, with the New York sense of urgency, it's sort of now or never, right? So that's a, a real life example of a kind of urgent scenario. And, and likewise, this was a client who we also helped with a major legal case that will soon be published in industry and national press. And that's probably two or three years in the making. So the the level of counsel goes very high and the stakes can actually be quite Sensitive. It's mm-hmm. so spe- a little different than sort of just calling up page six and saying, hey, write about my
0: client.
1: <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes we do and it's fun. You know what I mean? But <laughs> that's a little different.
0: Speaking of real world examples, are th- have there any been, I'm not going to ask you to name names, obviously, but have there been mm-hmm. any really bad experiences that have, you know, a company's done something bad and you guys, it's up to you to create a strategy to how to release that to the public? Good.
1: Like crisis communications. Yep. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it happens. I mean, it can be anything from a construction mishap to a, you know, a a celebrity client who may or may not show up in appropriate manner to an important media appointment to, you know, rescheduling at the last minute. I don't typically like to clean up after other agencies, but sometimes people hire us because they've burned through two or three that just you know, again, due to their mismanagement, they have not handled appropriately. And so they need really a coach. And so I'm doing high level coaching in addition to, you know, helping them run their business. So hopefully that answers the question. But yes, it's almost on a daily basis. It's kind of like stay out of your own way. And, you know, being the voice of reason with people who sometimes get emotional, or they just don't necessarily see it's like a chess match, they don't see the optimal outcome of what certain behaviors could in gender, So we're here to say, Hey, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Mm-hmm. And yeah, ideally troubleshoot a solution. It's kind of like being able to see a problem before it happens and to stand in the middle of the road as a roadblock saying, Hey, take this turn instead of that.
0: Yep. Turn. So- yeah, no, that's really cool. And from a logistics standpoint, you, you feel free to not answer this at all. How do you guys go about getting compensated? Like how does the compensation structure work when you're going into contract with some of these firms?
1: On retainer. So I always liken it to a law office where we have billable hours. So like you, every 15 minutes, I'm doing something that is actionable on behalf of a client for many hours a day. And so we're able to reflect that in reporting. I mean, obviously many tasks take longer than 15 minutes, but you get the idea, right? Or we can structure it as a project. For example, we have a client presently participating in the Venice Biennale that's in Italy. It takes place annually. And she will be opening a new entity in london and so we crafted a campaign around that that will last probably three to six months but oftentimes they expand beyond that but because we work quickly we have a major artist who's exhibiting at the metropolitan museum of art he actually has an exhibit opening in the hamptons this weekend and he came to us saying hey i want some really cool brand partnerships i don't need to just be in galleries in museums." so put me in front of, you know, your, your contacts and let's see what we can create. And it's been really quite amazing within 90 days, what we've been able to accomplish. Granted, he is a major, major talent and a stone cold genius. So that helps creatively to put that out there. But what I thought was so great and humble about him was he said, well, do you really think I'm ready? for this level of exposure and attention. And I said, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure (laughs) like a blue chip artist, you have devoted your entire life and career to the creative arts. So it's really rewarding to see someone like that succeed.
2: Courtney, your book creating significance. Can you tell our listeners about that book, what it what it means to you and what your goal of its impact in the world yes, is? Yes,
1: it really is a lens to various clients that started with us, probably 10, some of them 20 years ago. And what that looked like when they started, for example, Brett Johnson, his fashion collection, what it looked like in New York, and now it's a global fashion empire based in Florence, Italy, where his menswear is manufactured. So looking at the life cycle of where they were to where they are. So many young businesses or even established legacy businesses that we helped through succession planning and to bring a younger generation of talent to the forefront as others were retiring or moving on. So it's kind of an exciting look at what the potential is as an entrepreneur of, you know, where you start is not where you finish, right? Your first job is not your last job. So that's what it means to me is, again, creating significance, something that lasts. It's not a sort of flash. It's a sustained success. And I think that that is probably meaningful to, again, a Gen Z and millennial audience in a way that may not have resonated with, with other readers, but it's certainly open to anybody who wants to read it. Who's interested in starting even a second or third career of which there are many people, Hmm. Gen X and otherwise.
2: To, to go off that, what, what are some mistakes you see young celebrities, athletes, business owners, entrepreneurs? Like, what do you see? What are some of the biggest mistakes you see these These younger, successful people from a PR standpoint. Uh,
1: overconfidence. and I don't know if I need to define that, but that's assuming that you have the answers to everything and and end up being reactive rather than proactive and not admitting if you don't know something so that someone who is an actual expert could counsel you or just outright not taking counsel or direction. So experts are an expert for a reason, right? So that's why my my mantra this year is hashtag hire an expert <laughs> surround yourself with experts <laughs> yeah i
0: like that though i like the this like i like that you went into the overconfidence aspect because i do believe confidence is a huge aspect in being successful in terms of yes. being confident in your work ethic but at the same time the best people understand that they're not the smartest people in the room and they surround themselves and leverage a network of people that are much smarter than they are like take elon musk for example i'm sure he's not <laughs> the smartest dude in the world but he surrounds himself with the smartest people in the world. And, you know, he's the one with the vision
1: questions. Yeah. Asking questions and people follow people, right. They don't follow companies necessarily. So people want to be inspired. They want to be motivated and they want to have that level of interaction and trust. Right. So there, there's a, a huge amount of trust going back to your original question of, you know, what I see as potential pitfalls and also just the lack of, understanding about contracts like definitely read the contract it's not like one of these things when you get a new cell phone and you don't read it and then you agree to all the terms and then you're surprised later you know when you get bit in the booty so you know these these things are more important than ever i think and not least of which the idea that people should have important communication skills and that they should be prepared when they go in front of major media. They can't tell you how many people want to just go in and kind of wing it. And that's not cool. That's not advisable.
0: Yeah. How do you go about, in you know, in a real world example, how do you go about leveraging your network and other people to ask questions for?
1: I like to prepare in advance. I think, for example, LinkedIn is a wonderful platform for level, but also, you know, emerging management talent. And again, I don't like to make introductions unless I really think it's going to be a match made in heaven. For example, I will be referring people to your podcast because you're asking excellent questions. We and appreciate that's typically that. the case. Yeah. Everyone likes it when somebody does their homework. It's just a sign of respect, right? When you show up and you're prepared on time and and ready to engage. And this level of interactivity, I think, is really... I taught a class recently to young entrepreneurs and I peppered them with questions and they just came alive because it's really different than being lectured to. Right. So the professor, when we did the run through, was like, well, don't go too high level. And I did in fact give them an MBA level class and they loved it because when I was their age, I hated it when people talked down to me or didn't engage me on a high level. Right.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And we appreciate the kind words and the compliment. We we work hard at this and try to continuously get better. It's only been wow. a year, but what is the what's the vision for you? What what vision do you have for Gotham PR? Where do you see this evolving to 5 years from now, 10 years from now? Where do you see your world well, to?
1: it's a great question. And it's sort of always a, a work in progress. I mean, I, I definitely have had many offers to go in house or to sell or to merge, you know, those are all options, but it's, it wouldn't maintain the same level of sort of continuity, right? But that's not necessarily a bad thing. So yeah, I anticipate books, probably courses, maybe masterclass, a lot of people are really interested in our industry. But I think, There are still, despite the huge number of people in PR and marketing, very few who do it at a highly credentialed level. Yeah, I'm not opposed to teaching. I think that that's really important. I've always had a really strong cultivation program for talent within. I could even see some of my protégés taking over the company at some point. So yeah, there's a lot of different sort of Sputnik directions it could take, but the answer right now is I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I. So the world that 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 Tony and I live in professionally is is financial advising. So in in a certain way, we're in a a place of a world of service, a world of human being interaction, right? And I think I think sometimes the pushback that we get from people in our age bracket of you know mid twenties, Mm -hmm. early thirties, late twenties, whatever, right? Is uh, at least, and I can empathize with the idea of like, okay, we've had computers and we have all this technology evolving you know, where do humans have a role in all of this, right? Like, I think that th- there's a lot of young people that have a laptop and, and a search, an uh, internet browser and think they can figure everything out on their own. I think the reality is it comes down to time, knowledge, and desire in your specific world. You're going to get to a point of growth where you can't afford to just half-ass certain types of places in your world. Uh, you know, obviously PR being one of them, obviously personal finances yeah. being one of them. Who do you see make the biggest mistakes, right? Like the saying I think is don't jump over $5 bills to grab pennies. Mm -hmm. Do you find a lot of younger folks are making the mistake of trying to, you know, save dollars today that are ultimately going to cost them more down the road?
1: I work with a very savvy group of younger talent and always have. So I'm in a very privileged position. I think, again, they had financial literacy at home and at school, which I think should be in the curriculum, quite frankly, starting in grade school (laughs) to teach people financial awareness. We're actually launching a platform called the Black Wall Street with Hill Harper. He's an actor. He's on The Good Doctor. You probably know him from CSI since you're hardcore New Yorkers. And that's launching actually around the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. If you know anything about that, the New York Times just a a wonderful interactive feature yesterday. Look it up. And so that really is targeted at non-banked Americans and individuals who need to learn more obviously from a young age and that's anyone from grade school or teenage up through you know university and beyond so I'm happy to connect you with him but to your point yeah yeah, I see a lot of people just frivolously wasting money and uh, you know it's it's concerning because while the economy obviously is in a in a potentially exciting time because the government's you know (laughs) engendering a lot of money flow let's put it politely we don't know that people are necessarily going to invest and use it responsibly so yeah i would always encourage any kind of financial literacy programs to come to the forefront and get more attention and i do see that like kevin and other people are you know getting in front of that as well which is great Shaq.
2: and yeah and i guess i guess a way to maybe for me to ask the question yeah. better too. Uh, that was, that was cool feedback too. But I, I, I'm wondering if you face a disconnect sometimes with the younger generation in regard to working with them in your, in your profession, do you ever see there's just a lack of, they think they can handle this yes, stuff alone. Well that, do, you, that's do you run into that? part of the
1: overconfidence feedback I gave you, you know, people yeah, show up right. and again, you know, you have the benefit of growing up with branded everything, right? So there's, there's a different perception like, oh, I'm going to be a brand and I'm going to come in here and sort of take over. And that it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I bootstrapped from the beginning and you know you can't teach somebody your network. You can't have somebody crawl inside your brain and know how it works and what the connectivity points are, but you can teach them the right way to be an effective communicator and a business person with integrity. And I do think I've done that. I mean, probably a hundred or more people are all reaching VP status having started their careers with me and they're all under 30. So, you know, I tend to cultivate. Yeah. I don't, I don't bring anybody in who I don't think can go on to, be a major talent because I'm investing in them while they're investing in my company. So there tends to be a corollary there. Let's put it that way. And
0: I want to flip the coin on Landon's question for young people like us and extremely young entrepreneurs in their low twenties, you know, when they're trying to, you know, advance and talk to someone that may be quote unquote out of their league, how can they go Mm. about still bringing value in a non-annoying way? in a non-confrontational way and still being of value to a person that is established?
1: Yeah, I think it's important to reach out. I mean, I answer every email and even if I can't help them, I find somebody who can. And of course, you know, everybody wants to come in and work with my company in various locations and there's only a certain number of people we can take on, right? But I refer them to other agencies if they haven't done thorough research or if they're as yet unaware of other opportunities because everyone in my industry knows each other. So we're constantly reading who's posting for jobs and where there's, you know, some exciting groundbreaking thing happening. I mean, I, I feel like there's room enough for everyone. So I always encourage people reach out to me, Courtney, at I will answer your questions. And it's been my experience that people say yes more than they say no. So it really isn't an age thing. It's more like if you don't go for it, then you're not going to get an answer or an opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't be intimidated, I guess would be my feedback.
0: Yeah. If you don't ask the answer is always no. Correct. You know, so we are wrapping up around here. We're around the 30 minute mark. We'd like to be very yeah. conscious of your time here as well. This is called the learn lead podcast. So what we do want to touch upon leadership a little bit. Is there a 30 second to a minute little snippet that you could give us based on what your thoughts around leadership and wrap us up here, please?
1: Yes, absolutely, and this actually is a chapter from my book forthcoming called "Creating Significance." It's about lifelong learning, and I think the the secret of success is really to keep evolving and upskilling. And that's something I availed myself of during the extra time during lockdown was to attend every webinar, interview, Zoom invited conference, virtual, fidgetal, what have you that I was able to. Whether that was fast company innovation, Inc. Five Thousand lunch and learns, you know, to just listening to podcasts like this one. So always, always be learning new skills and that will put you in a great place, not only for your own edification and development, but obviously professionally. And that creates leadership, right? Because people want to come to people who they know are experts and can help lead them, if not lead out, right?
0: Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. There's a book that I was reading and it basically talks about there's only really two paths to go in life. It's rather the path of mediocrity or the path of mastery. And so if you're not continuing to try and get better at your craft, you're staying stagnant and you're losing. And so I think that's right. a great and point uh, that you put on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, my experience, and again, it's an observation out of criticism, people either flourished or they drowned during this past year and a half during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Selfishly. For that very reason.
0: Selfishly, COVID has been the biggest blessing of my life. It's forced me to get really uncomfortable and face some Internal struggles for so long, then you know, forced me to be a leader and grow out of this. Um, I know a lot of people had some negative experiences as well, but this gave us a really great time to reflect and be better from it. So it's on us if we did, if we didn't get better from this last year and a half.
1: Exactly. And it takes guts to admit that. So on that note, I will leave you two gentlemen and thank you very much. Thank you so much, Courtney. You have a great rest of your day. You as well. Thanks again.